Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we talk all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And just like that guys, another episode is here for you where we are going to discuss and preview the Qatar Grand Prix. We're in the third leg of another triple header this season, it just feels like there's F1 going all the time even if we're not talking about what's going on the circuit we're obviously going to be talking about what's going on off the circuit as well and joining me of course on this episode is my co-host as always Mr Courtney Pine coming back to us once again after a little break this weekend how have you been Courtney you're good yeah I'm doing great what a time to be an F1 fan eh um I, I chose I chose a good one to miss Jesus what a race that was um I certainly have my opinions on the matter and the aftermath which I'm sure we'll be going through today but yeah, what an exciting time to be into F1, eh? Yeah, definitely. And of course, for those of you who haven't seen our Brazil Grand Prix review, you can do so. It's live on the channel and on all major podcasting platforms. It's a really insightful discussion that we did with the lads from 1892 Reds podcast. Incidentally, of course, if you are a football fan or a Liverpool football fan, I definitely recommend going checking their out and subscribing to their channel. Some really good stuff on there as well. And joining us on this episode, once again, a familiar face and friend of DNF1, we have Tom Horrocks from the Monkey Seat Pod. Tom, thanks for coming on the show once again. How have you been? I'm great, and thank you, thank you for thank you for having me back. I, I, I thought maybe you got me confused with Tom Downey from the Everything F1 podcast. I thought, why would you be asking me back for a second time? But uh, but no, great great to be on again. Thanks a lot. Well, incidentally, we haven't had Tom on yet from Everything F1, so it definitely reminds me. I've got to ask him to come on at some point. Um, I have worked with Tom briefly a little bit. So, uh, but you know, that's another discussion for another day. Of course, we've got you here. So we're going to get right into this. And there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about. I think we're recording this on the Tuesday evening. So a lot of people that will watch this or listen to this when they do, I believe it will come out on Thursday. will know, of course, there's been a lot going on in F1 today in the aftermath of the Brazilian Grand Prix. But before we get into that, 
I just want to discuss the small matter of the F1 2022 grid is now finally complete. Our final seat has been filled and it's been filled by, of course, Guan Yu Zhou in the Alfa Romeo team. A driver that we expected to be confirmed for some time, especially after the Andretti deal fell through. And of course, Guan Yu Zhou will officially become the first Chinese driver to compete in a Formula One race. Not necessarily the first race weekend, but in a race itself. And, you know, that's really exciting news. You know, China, a country that, you know, boasts, I think, like 1.4 billion people. So there's a huge opportunity for F1 to try and tap into the Chinese market, if you like, and engage with the Chinese fan base. I'm sure a lot of them love their racing and love Formula One in particular, but they've just not had a hero, uh, a national hero, if you like, to get behind. They're finally going to have one. And guys, I'm, I'm interested to, to gather your thoughts on this appointment. Um, not necessarily if you're surprised that he's been given the nod, but do you think it's the right decision for Alfa Romeo to take on Guan Yu Zhou, who's not necessarily been banging on the door of F1, but at the very least, I think, deserves his opportunity. Um, Tom, I'm going to ask you first, if I may. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Guan Yu I have to say. Uh, I mean, last season in Formula 2, he finished sixth behind uh, Nikita Mazepin. So uh, <laughs> take from that what you will. But uh, yeah, look, the guy's the guy's quick and he's got talent, but he's just never um, he's just never shown the the consistency for me to 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 be a a, a big F1 talent for the future. Who knows? He might surprise us. He might be one of these people that comes in unexpected and then suddenly performs really well. We don't know. But um, personally, I, I've not been convinced by what I've seen of him. Um, but I also wasn't convinced by Mick Schumacher. Um, and he seems to be doing a pretty good job. So, I mean, it's difficult to say in that has. But uh, but certainly on a, on a financial basis and from a marketing basis for Alfa Romeo, it's a huge signing. And it's going to be hugely beneficial. The the money that he's going to bring to the team and the money that he's going to bring to the Alfa Romeo brand is is huge. And you know the guy's quick as well, so um, I, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he'll get up to speed and he'll have he'll have all the opportunities to be able to to, you know, to get up to speed. But um, I, jury for me is out on him. Uh, good luck to him. I hope he does well. But I just I just a bit frustrated that you know there's there's better candidates out there that perhaps deserve the nod ahead of him but uh he's got the nod so that's it's down to him to see what he makes from it yeah absolutely right i think one of the drivers a lot of us have probably looked towards as the ideal candidate would be someone like oscar piastri i suppose uh, i know nick devries was another driver that was had his name thrown there former f2 champion of course the formula e champion as well um but of course his sight seemed to be more tailored towards williams before alex albon got the nod eventually and um you know, I agree a lot with what you said. I've been impressed with Guan Yu Zhou um, for a while, but I wouldn't exactly say he was a driver that teams were sort of clamouring to get into Formula One. This is very much a driver who certainly won't look out of place on the grid. You know, he he's a driver that will certainly hold his own and he won't disgrace the F1 grid, as a, as a harsh term as that may seem. But this has certainly been a move that has had uh, external motivations, I suppose, or external sources that have definitely been driving this. Mostly the financial backing from his local sponsors. Apparently, it's rumoured that they're willing to offer Alfa Romeo up to 30 million euros um, for his services. And, you know, because of that, we say goodbye to Antonio Giovinazzi, a driver who perhaps could have stayed in the team a bit longer. But Ferrari, you know, whilst looking after him, obviously weren't prepared to offer a similar amount of money to Alfa Romeo to keep him in the team beyond the three-year stay that he's been at. Um, Courtney, 
with all that being said, um, are you surprised that Giovinazzi is no longer going to be part of F1? Um, or do you feel that, you know, in the time that he's been involved on the F1 grid, he's not exactly lived up to perhaps some expectations of some people in the paddock? Oh, I think given the situation, um, he's not quite good enough. I think the point you just made there was perfect. You know, if you're, you need either one or two things to get a seat in Formula One, it seems. One, I agree with one, I don't. One is the talent and two is the funding. Um, Giovinazzi isn't the worst driver in the world, but he doesn't offer anything. He's, he's without sounding too harsh, I, I would say that he's as average as they come. You know, doesn't there, there's no aspect to his driving that really would offer something to a bigger team. And obviously without that financial backing in, in, like in comparison to like Juan Yuzo, there's no competition. But then the whole thing about paid drivers is a real issue. At the start of the second, what Tom said about, you know, it's, it's a great ploy from Alfa Romeo from a financial perspective. You know, there's going to be a massive fan base from China. But I've had an issue with Alfa Romeo for a while now. As you know, I've stated this various times. It's, for me, it's one of the least interesting teams on the entire grid. It's, it, I, I almost forget they're even they're even here after time because they're that forgettable. And I just feel that as a neutral fan of the sport, I think it's a very underwhelming position. So apart from the Valtteri Bottas aspect next season, I'll be keen to see how he gets on. I'll have no interest in Afro Romeo whatsoever. Yeah, and, and that's probably a fair point. I think a lot of people probably look at Alfa Romeo a little bit like a looking at a moot point almost. You know, they're there, they're doing what they're doing. But other than the Bottas factor, you could argue that, and that's just to replace the Kimi Raikkonen factor to a degree, which has obviously mm. diminished over time until eventually his career will come to a sad end. Um, as such is life, unfortunately. Nothing good lasts forever, unfortunately. But, um, you know, all that being said, I think there's a lot of truth in people's assessment with Giovinazzi. He's had some peaks, mostly in qualifying, uh, I think he had a few couple of great Q3 appearances. I think in Zandvoort and uh, Monza, I think no less, he managed to get into Q3. Um, but the race results were very underwhelming. He always seemed to fall back, whereas his teammate Kimi Raikkonen, whilst his powers were declining, always seemed to have the better of him. And I think when you're looking forward to the future, you have to be thinking about who the next best thing is going to be that's available. And I think in Guan Yu Zhou's case, whilst he may not necessarily exceed Giovinazzi's level... Um, there's more going for him, for Alfa Romeo going forward, like the financial backing, the market into China, etc. That, of course, you know, obviously weren't waiting very long to put out what we thought were leaked photos of uh, a shop in a high street in China, obviously showing Guan Yu Zhou as an Alfa Romeo driver before the announcement. Um, Tom, on the subject of Zhou and his, what impact he could potentially have, um, not just at Alfa Romeo, but also in Formula One, is this now the golden opportunity that F1 needs to try and get into the Chinese market now that they have a Chinese driver that the fans can get behind? Arguably in the same way that they've been trying to do so for the American fan base without having the driver, of course, to use that. Well, I hope so from a, you know, from Formula One's point of view as well. I mean, they've they've obviously got the Chinese Grand Prix that's now been confirmed for another three years. So that's that's going to help. But with a Chinese driver at the Chinese Grand Prix, we might actually finally get some decent crowds there. So uh, I, I doubt we'll get to the the level of um, what, what we saw in Zandvoort and, you know, what we saw in America this year as well. Uh, but it's certainly something that's, that's you know, we 
we need to try and crack that market. That needs to be the next market that we that we crack as Formula One as a as a as a business because that's a that's a huge market there, and they don't have a a massive history in top line motorsport. Uh, obviously, with Joe being the first ever Chinese Formula One driver, that's that's just crazy to think with the amount of talent and 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 people in in China to to have not produced a single Formula One driver is just you know. The, it just seems insane. I mean, you've got uh, you've got other people in, in other other areas nearby. You've got Australia, and then you've got Japan. That uh, they they create a fair amount of drivers given the population that they that they've got percentage wise. And then you look at China, and it's just nothing. So, so um, Joe is a is 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 certainly important for Formula One. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was a little bit of external pressure as well not just the uh, not just how much money can you bring and and how fast are you it wouldn't surprise me if there was a little bit of external pressure and certainly once the andretti deal disappeared um like like you courtney i am uh, extremely vanilla with <laughs> with with alfa romeo and i i was actually starting to get quite excited about the prospect of a, a colton hersa um valtteri bottas line up with andretti input next year and then as always alfa romeo disappointed me um but uh but yeah it's it, it's certainly something that that they need to be looking towards doing so hopefully we'll uh we'll, we'll uh we'll, we'll see an increased presence in china but hopefully not like six or seven grand prix because that you know we, we don't want to go down that route but certainly that an increased presence and if we can make china like like Zandvoort and like silverstone and like monza then that's going to be great for the sport to see you know it's such a, a great nation like china um, putting on a, an occasion like that because the Chinese Grand Prix circuit, I actually quite like the Shanghai circuit, but it's just never got that atmosphere because it's never got the fans there. So it'd be nice to see that kind of get transformed into this this big ticket venue that we just have to be at rather than just an also ran, which it is at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the Shanghai circuit started pulling in the attendance numbers that F1 certainly want, that they may explore the option of a second Chinese Grand Prix like we're getting in America. Um, Of course, you know, it's such a huge market. F1 would be foolish to not at least explore that possibility. They now have the driver, the marquee personnel, if you like, to try and make that happen. Um, So there's certainly a lot going for Joe. Of course, he's got a longer term deal from what we understand. So, He's definitely going to be around for a while. Of course, that was the stumbling block originally, but obviously after the Andretti deal fell through, that one seemed to go through quite swimmingly. Uh, We should also briefly mention that, of course, Oscar Piastri has been promoted to the reserve driver role for Alpine next season. Um, A thought on him, of course, we should probably talk briefly about him. Um, Tom, again, you know, you and I, we follow the junior categories with a relative degree of interest. Um, and that's putting it loosely, of course, um, especially in your case. Um, but I feel that this is kind of a, it's kind of like um, for any fans of The Office when, you know, or any office where you think you're in a position where you think you're going to get promoted to the role that you want. And what ends up happening is you take on the same sort of responsibilities to a degree, but you only get a role that with a different title, but with no additional power or what you actually want. In a way, I feel like the reserve driver role, with all due respect to Alpine, is just a way to keep Piastri around with the hope that a seat might become available, not necessarily there, but somewhere for him next season in the same way that Ferrari tried to do that uh, with Callum Eilock, keeping him around in the Alfa Romeo setup, etc. Do you feel that, um, you know, that, that there could be a realistic opportunity for Oscar Piastri in the next year or so? Or do you feel that Alpine could really potentially be messing up the possibility of introducing a driver of his caliber in sooner. 
Well, I think Alpine are doing the right thing, investing in youth and having options there and having a, a succession plan because, um, you know, they've signed this long-term deal with Ocon and they've obviously got Alonso for next season. They need somebody there to replace Alonso and then the next one snapping at the heels to replace Ocon if he doesn't come good or if Joe doesn't, you know, work out. Uh, obviously, Joe's at, at Alpha. I, I don't know if... Do, I, do you know, have the ties been cut with Alpine for um, for Joe or is he um, or is he still part of their lineup? Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure. But given the yeah. longevity of the deal, I would be under the assumption that ties have been cut between them, yeah. considering that he's no longer, obviously he's not going to be the reserve driver because he's got a full yeah. seat somewhere else. So I would say, yeah, probably. Yeah. So I think uh, they, they need to have that succession plan in there. And that's, you, you've seen the, uh, I want to say success of the Red Bull uh, junior program. And you've seen, obviously it's working with great effect with George Russell coming through for Mercedes and Lando Norris coming through for McLaren. So the 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 big teams, the they need to have this succession plan with these younger drivers ready to come in. And obviously, I'm not even mentioning probably one of the one of the biggest uh, <laughs> the, the biggest instances of that in Charles Leclerc. He's the reason why you know Vettel was was pushed out of Ferrari, and why we've got people like Mick Schumacher and Robert Schwartzman and Callum Eilat who are all looking like they were you know destined for for Formula One. And Schumacher is the only one that's managed to. To kind of break into that so it's uh, it's important that they do invest in this youth but it's it is a balancing act and they have to they have to have a fine balance there between what's you know what's right and um and, and what you know not just stockpiling young drivers because that's when you start to you know stagnate the careers i mean callum Eilat, bless me he's never going to get a formula one drive um I, personally i don't think he had that cutting edge anyway uh but it would have been nice to see him at least get a shot even in that one race situation but uh obviously uh you know, we know that Kubica was was the was the man, uh, the lucky man in that situation there. But uh, but yeah, it's um, it's it's important that they they do keep these drivers there. But they they need to make sure that when the time is right, they do allow them to leave. So potentially with with Joe here, they, there was no, I think probably his backers wanted him in Formula One now, and it was well, Alpine can't offer that now. So therefore, the opportunity at Alpha is there. Let us go. There's probably a, a payout in that as well to let him out of his contract. Because I believe he still had time on that contract if it has indeed been cut. Um, but yeah, certainly with regards to Piastri, uh, he's he's looking like he's going to win the Formula Two Championship. We've still got six races to go, uh, two race weekends to go, six races, and he's got a thirty something thirty. I'll just say he's got a thirty six point lead over Joe, and then you've got Schwartzman just seven points back from there. So he's looking strong to win that championship. So um, he needs to he needs to just do everything he can. I mean, you look at the success of Julian Palmer winning F two, ending up um, ending up reserve driver in that team the endstone team and then just forcing his way into a drive you may you may well find that you know middle of next season alonso says you know i don't i don't want this anymore and he might just you know the lp might be uncompetitive he might be the back of the grid and say i don't need this i'm going to go off and do indy again and he may well just you know he may well find himself in a car middle of next season you never know so if you're not in that reserve role you're never gonna get a drive it's i know there's it's not like the old days where you used to get loads and loads of testing but if you're not if you're not there with your face in front of the the engineers and and, and making yourself known to the management, you're never going to get in that seat. So he's definitely well placed to take a seat, whether that be at Alpine or somewhere else in the future. But I don't know. But he's he's too good a talent to ignore. Him and Portier are the best young talents come through since Charles Leclerc, George Russell, and Lando Norris, in my opinion. So those those three uh, or those two drivers definitely uh, 
I've got a future in Formula One. It's just where um, it may well be both at Alpine. We never know. Yeah, very well said. And of course, you know, I think the biggest issue that uh, the junior series have had is we haven't really had many superstar drivers come through the system since the likes of the Leclerc's, the Russell's, the Norris's, you know, and, and Gasly's before them. Um, so Piastri looks like the next driver in that crop. Um, with respect to some of the others, but of course, we'll have you know the seat has to be available. You know, you've got to you need to be in the right place at the right time, and perhaps it's what affected someone like Calamilo, for example, why he didn't get his chance. Um, I- I'm going to move this to a different topic now because um, I think we've covered enough on Guan Yu Zhou with all respect. Um, let's talk about, of course, the aftermath of the Brazilian Grand Prix. Now, of course, Courtney, you weren't with us for the Brazilian Grand Prix review, so I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. Tom, of course, uh, the same. Um, of course. There was a time earlier today where we thought, I thought we were going to be having this discussion without having the necessary footage that I think everybody had been crying out for, which of course was the onboard of Max Verstappen from the front perspective rather than the rear of the incident with Lewis Hamilton at Turn 4 at the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, name convention only. But of course, we have got it. F1 put out the footage. Everybody was talking about it. So... As best as we can, guys. Now, I'm sure you've both had plenty of time to look over this enough times to make your own opinion. Um, what are your opinions of the incident? Do you think Max Verstappen was in the wrong? Do you think he should have gotten a penalty of some sort? Or did you agree with the stewards that no action was necessary? Courtney, I'm going to come to you first on this one. It's a, it's, it's a tough one. But I just think given the amount of incidents we've seen this season already... I, I just I'm, I'm all for hard racing, but I think it's getting to the point now where punishments need to start getting dished out because you know the last thing we want to see is come the last race of the season you see one driver punting the other one out of the championship because I just feel if you keep on letting these kind of things go, that's the outcome that is that is likely to happen. I think the stewarding has. In my opinion, I think we've seen some of the worst stewarding I've probably ever seen in my time as a Formula One fan over the course of the weekend. Not just to one, not just that one decision, but from the very start of the weekend, it just seemed to be a very rotten atmosphere around the entire around the entire grid. And I think the stewards have their part to play in that. Um, I remember early on in the season, you know, we was talking about the consistency of stewarding. And how we don't want it to affect the outcome of the championship. But I think now we're in a situation where not only is it going to most likely um, affect the outcome of the championship, we've now got a situation where the F1 fan base is as toxic as ever because of the, the inconsistent decisions that the stewards have been making. Yeah, it's interesting you should bring up the uh, the reaction, I suppose, of the F1 fan base and how they've kind of dealt with this in terms of a debate perspective and reaction. Because, of course, we all have our own opinion. Some of us follow a specific driver. Some of us follow us a team. Some people just love the whole show as, as an entity and just don't really care who wins. They just want to see clean, fair, hard racing. I think, you know, we can all agree that's what we all want to a degree, as long as the best guy in the best car wins, etc., etc. Um, that all being said, um, I, I do think it's quite interesting that a lot of people in the F1 mainstream have withheld their opinions on this and just retweeted or broadcasted the footage to let everyone make their own opinions, purely and simply because of how controversial and how uh, split this this decision can be between... I've seen so many people quite mixed for so many different reasons, so many different facets and nuances of what is actually going on, when in reality when we were watching the race, it did seem like it was quite slam dunk or quite cut and dry. Um, Tom, 
I want to get your opinion on this one as well. Um, has the footage changed your opinion on what you thought the stewards should have done or if you agreed or disagree with them? Or has it not changed your mind? So it, nothing's really changed in my mind as to what I thought should have happened at the time. But um, I am actually glad that it wasn't punished because I thought we had a blinding race as a result. But uh, it, it's it's... It's an odd situation, and I, I just before we came on, actually, I saw that um, um, I don't know if you know of uh, Sean Kelly, virtual Statman, the uh, Statman for Formula One. He tweeted saying, "If we're going to retrospect- retrospectively punish drivers for incidents, then we need to pass. Um, let, let's pass. Hang on, sorry. Uh, incidents that we let pass during the race, then Ayrton Senna should be excluded from the 1990 World Championship. Congratulations, Alan Prost, you're on your fifth title." So it's it's kind of an interesting point to make. It's a bit of an extreme example, I know, but um, but the the whole right of review thing is is there. But I think the problem with this one is not so much that the stewards have made the wrong decision. It's that Formula One have dealt incredibly poorly with this whole situation, and I feel like it seems to me like they've 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 buried their head in the sand for the interest of putting on a good show because there's nothing. At all. I cannot think of a single argument as to why that wasn't even investigated. And it's just the fact that they noted it. If they hadn't seen it, then that's that's kind of one excuse. Or if they saw it, they investigate it and then they decided not to give a penalty. That's another reason. There's something fishy going on here. The fact that they they looked at it and then didn't investigate it, but admitted that they'd seen it. And then came out and said that the other footage wasn't available. But it it was available. There's no reason why it wouldn't have been available. Had they investigated it, the stewards would have then looked at that information and then decided what to do. Now, I, I think, given if you'd have asked me to start of the season, I'd said that isn't a penalty. But given the penalties that we've seen this season, and you have to have consistency throughout a season, you can say at the start of the season, this year, we're not going to be punishing this kind of offence or... Or, or this this year we're we're going to be cracking down on this like you do with, with football. At the start of every season, it's always okay. This year, you know, handball in a box, it's a red card. You know, you, you get that. You get the these directives at the start of every season. That's fine. You can't change what you're policing middle of the season to suit your whatever you know whatever agenda you're trying to achieve. And that's what this feels like. It feels like they've they they're now saying, oh yeah, let them race. Yeah, earlier in the season, they were saying that the let them race thing is gone. That's dead. That doesn't happen anymore. They say first lap incidents don't count. And then they say, oh, if, if you know, if someone's disadvantaged on the first lap, it, you know, we, we, we'll still look at it. And it just keeps changing. And that's my problem. It needs to be a consistent voice throughout the season. End of the season, review it, say, okay, what went wrong? What went well? But no, they're not doing that. And it just seems odd to me that this has happened in this way. And for me, the issue is not what penalty should be awarded. It's how the FIA dealt with this on the day. That's the failing here, not the fact that they didn't award a penalty. And do you know what? That's really well put because I could not agree more with that. Um, It's funny though. I wouldn't have used the 1990 Japan example. I was going to go 89. I would have said, here you go, Ayrton. Here's your fourth world title. Uh, Rather than, so they would have been (laughs) on four each, if you like, or well, not necessarily, but they just swapped it around. Um, It's you're absolutely right. You know, I think there comes a point where if we're going to be judging every retrospective decision in this same way, there's so many, there's a whole catalogue of things that we could have done different this season based on different precedents. I mean, you're right to point out, and, and Courtney as well, you're exactly the same on this one. The consistency of the stewards has been arguably one of the biggest failings this season. 
you know, an incredible championship that we've had between two of arguably the greatest drivers to ever drive a Formula One car, even though one of them hasn't won a world championship yet. Um, his talent is immense and it's contributed massively towards this against arguably the greatest of all time. And it could be tainted. There could be a huge asterisk on the championship now, no matter who wins it after what's happened this weekend. I know we talked about in the past, old Silverstone here or Monza or other things. You could have gone the rest of the season without another one of those or clean racing between the two of them and accepted it for what it was, regardless of who won. Now, because of what's happened this weekend and the stewards' lack of involvement, I suppose is the right way to put it, and tripping over themselves and Michael Massey getting involved, saying things perhaps he shouldn't have done on this incident, it's now cast out no matter what happens. I mean, Mercedes, of course, we should announce at this point that they have executed uh, the right to appeal or the right to review, if you like, for Article 14.1.1 of the International Sporting Code, which, of course, allows them to um, provide new evidence, which, of course, we now have, that the stewards themselves said we needed this to make the decision when we didn't have it at the time, to now see, well, look, guys, you've got the evidence you want. You can now conduct that investigation. Um, and then if you feel that there's grounds for an appeal, then we'll appeal it. And I can't see, if it, if it goes that far... Anything other than one or two things, either the stewards say, no, we don't think Max was in the wrong. We think that was just hard, fair racing or it was a mistake and we're not going to penalise for it. Or they are going to give him a five second time penalty and that will give uh, that will take three points off of him in the championship, which again, as tight as this championship has been, could prove to be the deciding factor at the end of the season in Abu Dhabi. So for me, because of what's happened in the last 48 hours and the precedent of hard racing seeming to change as often as the circuit location, if you like, for the lack of a better way of putting it, one of them's going to be hard done by, whether it's Max or Lewis. If you don't do nothing, Lewis is disadvantaged in that, you know, the penalty wasn't awarded to the driver that made the mistake. And I'm of the opinion that after reviewing it, I think Max probably should have got something for it. But because it didn't happen when it should have done, it's changed the the whole outcome altogether. Um, and it's become a lot harder to police. And with hard racing, Tom, as you said, I think Austria, great example. We had three incidents, two with Perez, one with Norris, all got penalties for what most people thought would, would have been considered hard racing. But they set that precedent that, you know, that is not acceptable. So by that logic, you have to adopt the same approach with the Max Lewis incident and they haven't done it. So it's become one massive mess. And no matter what happens, I just think we could potentially be in a situation at the end of the season where whether it's Max or Lewis that wins the World Championship, we're going to be talking more about the mess that was this Grand Prix and how this was handled by the stewards rather than congratulating two champions on an incredible season where unfortunately only one of them won. Yeah, you know what, Adam? I just want to uh, add something. You know, when I said earlier on about the feelings of the fan base, now, it's no secret I, I am a massive Lewis Hamilton fan, but... You know, it might have looked in previous episodes that, you know, I've been sitting on the fence a lot. And I haven't been sitting on the fence. I've simply been enjoying this championship as a fan of the sport as well. But my mindset has shifted because of the, I would say, the way with the stewarding, the constant protests from the teams. And it has made me, not angry as such, but it's definitely made me more emotionally invested rather than rational, let's say. It's definitely made me more sort of tribal, almost, actually, towards Lewis Hamilton, because, you know, we're constantly seeing decisions like this. We're constantly seeing protests, particularly from Red Bull. And to be honest, frankly, it's becoming it's becoming annoying, to say the least. 
And I do fear that we're going to see this championship now decided either by decisions by the stewards or these drivers going into each other because it's just become that hostile now. And I think this, this championship will be tainted one way or the other. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, based on what we saw this weekend, we saw the absolute best of Lewis Hamilton doing what he does best, you know. And he was probably the real victim in all of this. You know, Max to a degree because of what's been going on. But Lewis has been the real victim this weekend where, you know, the issue with the um, disqualification from sprint, sprint qualifying because of the failure on his DRS, which obviously caused the car to not pass the necessary scrutineering test from the FIA, which, you know, Mercedes and Total Wolf were calling for common sense. I'm of the opinion, well, look, if the car's failed, then it's obviously not been robust enough to pass the test and that you have to honour the rules. That's not an excuse. I know he was saying, oh, Red Bull had a similar situation. Well, damage and a failure are two different things, how they're interpreted. So I can understand why the FIA punished Hamilton for, you know, that minute 0 point, whatever it was, two millimetres discrepancy and Red Bull trying to change their rear wings at the uh, Mexican Grand Prix because, of course, they were still able to pass the necessary test. All of that aside, um, I don't, you know... It's become to a point now, it's become so hostile between both camps where Total Wolf is now saying, um, we're not going to be diplomatic anymore. That's gone out the window. And I'm thinking, well, hold on, Toto. It's, it's kind of been like that all year. Don't tell me this is the first time you've turned up to an F1 race and decided that you're going to try to win. You know, that it's, it's harsh, but you and, you know, Mercedes and Red Bull have been doing that with each other all season. So this isn't like the first time to the rodeo without a lack of a better way of putting it. So... I'm hoping for the rest of the season that it's just going to be down to Lewis and Max because when it's all said and done, they both deserve to win this championship for different reasons. Um, And everything else that's going on around them could potentially taint this or make this, uh, you know, not necessarily enjoyable regardless of who wins. Um, Tom, what are your thoughts on all this? I'm quite intrigued to try and get an understanding of how you see this all going down because it seems so volatile and hostile at the moment for everyone around the two drivers, and yet at the moment it's kind of potentially spoiling what is otherwise a, a championship for the ages. Yeah, like you, I don't want this decided in the stewards where I want it decided on the track. Ridiculously, I want I want the right person to win. Um, so it, it's it's frustrating that it, it say it's happened in that way for the reasons that I that I said before. Um, but it, it's it's a it's. Paul Lord have put themselves in a very difficult position now. And with, you know, Mercedes giving their their right to appeal, which that, you know, they're on the sporting regulations, they're they're fully entitled to do. So um it's it's gonna leave, it's gonna be like a, a foul taste in the mouth. It's gonna be a slap in the face for Red Bull if they lose that second place and then Bottas gets promoted to the podium. Like you know, you said in, in the in the pre-show where we were chatting about how Verstappen was backing off and looking after his car because he knew that he wasn't gonna win the race uh, by that point, and then that pulls Bottas to within five seconds. And if the if the thing was still under investigation and to be investigated after the race, then potentially he wouldn't have backed off so much and and then he wouldn't have been in that danger of, of now being passed by Bottas. So it's, it's a difficult, it, it's really tough. And I don't know how this is going to go down now. And I, I just hope that it's done correctly and it's done with dignity and it's done without any more mudslinging and, and that we, for the rest of the last three races, we see a, a cracking battle between the two drivers. I mean, one thing it has done with the point system, the way it is at the moment is it's meant that um, I, I think 
we can probably suspect that Bottas and Perez are going to be getting the fastest laps for the rest of the season because whoever's in fourth is just going to be pitted and then take the fastest lap. That's that's kind of a bit of a given, unless we've got some extreme circumstances where one of them is out of the fight. One of those two is going to be getting the fastest lap. So it looks like there's going to be a seven-point swing between first and second, Hamilton and Verstappen for the rest of the season. So that means if Hamilton wins the next two races, then they're level on points going into Abu Dhabi, which is just... Just insane. That would be an amazing situation to find themselves in. But what it does mean, of course, if Verstappen does get a win, then Hamilton winning the last two races is not enough because Verstappen will have more wins. He'll win on he'll win on number of wins. He'll have one more win than Hamilton if he wins one more race. If Hamilton wins the last three, then they they draw. So that's that's a great situation that Verstappen's in. That might be crucial. It might come down. We may have our first ever tie in the championship. I can actually see it happening and that would be that would be phenomenal this season if, if that happened. But I just now I after Mexico, I was really down, not because of the result. I mean, I, like you, Courtney, I am a I am a Hamilton fan, but I, I am also I I have said many times, if you'd have said to me at the start of the season, it goes to the last race and Verstappen wins it, I'd have taken that because I want it to go. I want a great season and it goes to mm. the end. And whoever deserves to win will win. And um, if we end up in a situation where that, that happens, I, I don't care who wins, but so long as they, they win it honorably and correctly and properly, and this isn't done in the stewards room. Um, part of me thinks that, I don't know, again, after Mexico, I was convinced it was, we weren't even going to get a title decider. It was going to, it was going to be finished in, uh, in Jeddah, but uh, it looks like now it's, it's more likely that we are going to get a title decider. And part of me just thinks, well, if we can just get, Maybe a, maybe a Hamilton and Verstappen DNF in the next race. And then uh, then that's two races and then Hamilton wins them both and then they finish level on points. That would be an amazing way to finish the season. And then it comes down to the fastest lap to see who wins the championship. <laughs> so I, I don't know. how The honest answer is I don't know how it's going to pan out now, but uh, it's, it, it's, it's an incredible season, one for the ages, as we've, we've said so many times. And, uh, and yeah, it just, it just needs to be clean. And the thing that worries me is after seeing that replay of, of the incident on Sunday, um, that shows that Verstappen will happily put someone in a wall if if he has to and that's the thing that concerns me because mm-hmm. I agree one of the one of uh, there's lots of differences with the with the Silverstone crash to this one but the key difference here for me is that Lewis backs out and Lewis and Max didn't back out in Silverstone and we saw what happened and um, if, if Hamilton you see the way he, he approaches the turn from the onboard he's He's no way. He's way past his breaking point. Hamilton is completely ahead to the point where he could have almost cut across the front of him and taken up the racing line. But if he had done that, it would have been a danger of what happened to Verstappen and Ricardo in Baku that time. Uh, he was he was so far ahead. He literally could have cut across the front wing. The move was done, and then because Verstappen was so late on the brakes, he just he just sailed completely off the circuit and could have easily taken Hamilton with him if Hamilton had not been aware of where Verstappen was. And that's what concerns me. This is Verstappen's first championship fight, and I just feel that he may do something stupid to try and protect that. And that's what concerns I hope he doesn't. He's really, I, I've always had slight concerns over Verstappen's mentality, but this year he's completely turned me around on that. And I, which is again why I've been so happy and saying, you know what, he can win this championship. He deserves it. But um, that's just, it's, a, it's the first red flag of the season for me, that incident there which is why it surprised me that it wasn't even investigated. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. I, I think, you know, I've been singing Max's praises all season long. I think he's been the best driver 
this season. I, I to a degree, I think if he keeps it close and Lewis somehow gets the job done this season, I will still say I think Max has been the best overall driver this season. But what we saw at Brazil perhaps was the first time this season where Max Verstappen has started to really feel the pressure or perhaps for the first time this season believe that maybe he may not win this world championship, that Lewis may have the car underneath him and is driving to a level once again where Max may not necessarily be the favourite and Max has to dive deep into perhaps trying to find more talent than he has. And perhaps that's what we saw at Turn 4 in Brazil. Not necessarily desperation, but perhaps Max was trying to find something that not even he would have been able to produce. And, you know, making that mistake or trying to force Lewis off. Lewis, fortunately, obviously saw it coming. And, you know, it's strange because earlier in the season at Monza or Silverstone, Lewis decided he didn't want to give way. And that's obviously, you know, in part, he played his part in causing those incidents as Max did as well. So um, it, it was nice for Lewis, Lewis's sake that he still got that presence of mind in that moment that perhaps only he does at the moment to try and, you know, think, oh, I'll get out of the way here. I'll get him another time. And eventually he did. So that could prove to be the difference between the two of them at the end of the season where Max is still going to throw it in there, hoping that he either scares his opponent or if they take each other out, he still has the advantage to take the championship. I don't think that's how he wants to win, but at the moment, I think that's what we're seeing between the two of them. That one of them could be the one making, well, could be more likely to make the mistake by trying to go for a move that just isn't there versus the other one that's still trying to play 4D chess. And right now, I think that that's what's going on right now. Um, look, let's move on to the preview at Qatar. We've spoken a lot already about Max and Lewis in great detail, mostly about the Brazilian race, but of course we can talk about this one as well. Not necessarily will those two come together. I think that's an inevitability that these two will come together again before the end of the season, maybe this weekend. But I know F1, we haven't had a lot of time to study this circuit. This is a relatively new circuit that's been introduced owing to uh, the cancellation of the Japanese Grand Prix and of course other races in that area that have not been able to stay on the Canada this year. Um... It's a circuit that's traditionally a MotoGP circuit. And normally when we go to these sorts of circuits where it's a bit tight on the layout, there's a lot of corners, etc., it does tend to favour Red Bull. However, there are a lot of fast and mid-speed flowing corners, which the Mercedes do enjoy. And of course, we've got that one kilometre straight, which certainly cannot be ignored if Lewis Hamilton has the straight line performance that he had at Brazil. Maybe not as much because the engine performance obviously does go down on the Mercedes engine. But based on what we've seen, what are our thoughts going into this weekend? If you had to pick one, as hard as it will be, who do you think has the better overall package or the advantage, if you like, going into this Grand Prix? Courtney, what are your thoughts on this one? Do you know what? I'm going to be bold. Me and you have discussed this privately. I believe that Lewis is going to win the last three races. Whether like DNFs or incidents aside, I think in terms of pace, I think Lewis could well win all, um, all of the last remaining races. Um, you know, there are a lot of um, high-speed parts in Qatar. Jeddah looks like a Mercedes dream. And with the changes that are being made in Abu Dhabi, that would probably suit Mercedes more than usual. And it has actually been quite a strong circuit for Mercedes. Not only that, Mercedes do seem to have found something, something which has obviously rattled Red Bull's cage and Max Verstappen's, given the behaviour that we've seen over the weekend. And I'm getting slight 2016 feels from Lewis Hamilton. You know, after the um, his DNF in Malaysia, he had a fire in his belly. And it just seems that whenever Lewis feels like he's the underdog, he's the one fighting to get back. 
it brings out the best in him. And we saw it in 2016. Now, I think we're also seeing Mercedes being as together as, as ever, really. I think Mercedes might have been guilty of, you know, not being complacent as such, but because they've won it so many times, and, you know, they won it with relative ease last season. Maybe they were in a sense of, you know, they didn't really have the fire in their bellies. But I think not only Lewis, but the whole team are so so desperate to win this championship now, given the, the behaviour that we've seen over the weekend. You know, Toto Wolf was like a mad possessed over the weekend. And I think we're going to see that continue. So I just feel the momentum is very much on Mercedes' side right now. Yeah, it does seem that way. I mean, we've seen a lot of races this year where I think Red Bull have got one over on Mercedes. I think I think back to Austin as the most recent one where, you know, a lot of people went there expecting Mercedes with you know, what they were doing with their car and obviously Red Bull are still looking into whether or not it's illegal or not. We'll have to wait and see how that goes down. Um, but it did seem that Mercedes have found something that allowed them to find even more performance, which seemed to tip the balance in their favour. Max Verstappen still brilliantly won that Grand Prix. And it did seem at that point that perhaps this was the moment that Max Verstappen may have had one hand on the title. He then followed that up with a dominant performance in Mexico, despite the issues they had in qualifying, which at the time seemed to further cement that. But of course, we had a huge momentum shift in Brazil. Lewis Hamilton didn't just win the Grand Prix from pole position. And, you know, he started from the very back of the grid in the sprint race. He got himself all the way up into the top 10. I think you could argue if there wasn't a sprint race and he had to start at the back in the main race, he probably wouldn't have won. He probably would have got a lot of points, but it probably would have been too far for even him with all that speed that he had to overhaul everybody. Um, But that being said, he still got the job done incredibly well. Lewis seems to be more of a comeback king, if you like, than a guy that dominates the race from the front. Um, and, this, and we're talking about a guy here that's won over 100 Grand Prix, and that's what we can say about him by his nature and his character. He always seems to find that next level that only he seems to have when the chips are down, and it always seems everyone's written him off, and then he reminds us how bloody good he is. So, you know, going into these last races, Corny, I'm I'm not surprised with that kind of prediction. I would probably agree. I think Lewis has to be the favourite now for the remaining few races. It, it could come down to either Max and Red Bull or Red Bull finding something on the Merc that isn't quite legal or within the rules as we've seen so often with bendy wings and stuff this season and technical directives being issued out on both sides or perhaps Max Verstappen finds something deep that he can find to extract even more performance and give him the edge for the remaining races. We'll have to wait and see but yeah I would say maybe it could come down to Jeddah not even happening. You know that that's touch and go. Yeah, They've got a f- two and a half weeks left. Um, to get it ready to the point where we can actually have the basic components needed for a Grand Prix. And, you know, the FIA, they say that they're confident, but I I don't think they are. I really think there's a fear that 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 race could not happen. So we'll have to wait and see. It could come down to that. Um, Tom, obviously we've been going on for a little bit now about our thoughts on this. What are your thoughts this weekend? Are you in the Hamilton camp for the win this weekend? Or do you think Red Bull and Max Verstappen will shake off Brazil or whatever comes from it from this appeal? and just get back on track to where they were in Mexico. Um I think looking at looking at the track and uh and and the tendencies of what we've seen in the past. I think what we've seen is Valtteri Bottas gets up to speed on a track very quickly. He gets that 90% very quickly, but then Hamilton um he doesn't go beyond that then Hamilton kind of ekes out that extra 10% a lot quicker uh, towards the end and then he t- ends up taking that. So if we've got a a full weekend which we have, um I think that Bottas is probably going to set the pace in the early sessions 
and then Hamilton will take over from him. Looking at the circuit layout, I, I think really overtaking wise, you're only really looking at turn one and maybe the switch back into turn two. But um, it looks like we could potentially have a um, have a the, the, the triple triple apex. You know, I, I mean, it's 12, 13 and 14, but that looks to me like it could end up being close to flat out, if not just blending out a little bit of throttle. Uh, and then, unfortunately, that that short braking zone into turn fifteen is probably going to ruin any chance of any following into into that long straight. So, I I think that if Mercedes are going to have the same straight line speed advantage they've got, they're the ones who are going to be in the ascendancy. Because if you do, if it if it's it quite close, then I think the Red Bulls are going to struggle to overtake because they're they're just not going to have the space to get up and and get that overtake done because of that last that just that horrible little turn fifteen. If that was just a long sweep into turn sixteen and then onto the back straight, then we I think we would see a, a lot of overtaking into turn one. But um, I I just feel it's it's not gonna it's not gonna work for overtaking. I just think it's going to be quite a, quite a tough tough place to overtake and you're only really going to see turn one and it's probably only going to be if you have a massive a massive um massive overspeed so really it's going to come down to qualifying and um Verstappen has shown himself to be an excellent qualifier this year uh and he just seems to get the the best out of best out of the car in in those situations I'm completely on the fence here because Hamilton's great at new circuits. He, he he tends to win at new circuits. The amount of new circuits he's been to in the last few years, he's won at pretty much all of them. Um, so that's why he's won at so many different circuits, probably more than anyone else in the history of Formula One as well. I don't know that stat for certain, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. So I... I need to stop sitting on the fence here, um, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna edge Hamilton for the race, but I still see Verstappen as the title favourite. I think Red Bull was so good in Abu Dhabi last year, and I know they've changed the layout for this year slightly. Nobody knows how that's going to go, and I and no no one knows how it's going to go in in Jeddah either. So I, I've with that 14 point gap. Weirdly, if it was 13 points, I would say Hamilton's the champion, but it's just the fact that it's that that seven point buffer and two wins, and Verstappen still wins the championship. Hamilton has to win the last three races. And it's not often Hamilton wins four in a row. He's not the kind of guy that will go and reel off four, five, six wins in a row. He'll get, he'll win two and then come second and then win three and then come second. And, and he'll just be consistent and, and relentless consistency. But he's not the kind of guy that will go on a run and, you know, do a Vettel and win the entire second half of the season in 2013 or 2012. So it's... um yeah, I, I'd still say Verstappen's the favourite for the championship, but I think Hamilton's probably going to be the form driver for the remainder of the season, which means we'll probably end up finishing with about a five or six point gap, which is fantastic. Yeah, and the, I think the important point that you've made in that analysis, Tom, was that you know I, I, that I took from it that Mercedes have such an advantage in terms of straight line performance that we're going to free circuits where that is going to be utilised a lot. So if Red Bull and Verstappen are going to win, it's, it's critical that they're ahead of Mercedes at the earliest point in the race, i.e. the start, or if they're behind him in qualifying, they get ahead of him off the start, which they have been pretty good at doing, to their credit, when they've been put in positions like that. Because it is just so hard for almost anybody to, you know, outdrag and overtake the, the Mercedes on straight-line performance. That's how it's just been since the Turkish Grand Prix. And, um, you know, it's a good point on Hamilton as well, because we're talking about a guy this season who uncharacteristically has been out of form in certain places in terms of getting the wins. I mean, before Silverstone, or sorry, after Silverstone, he hadn't won until the Russian Grand Prix. 
And then after then, he went three or four races without a win. They're very un like but it's just been how the year has been and how good Red Bull and Verstappen have been. Um, for me, I'm still going to stick with Lewis. I just feel that right now, after what had happened at Brazil, the confidence is going to be running through him like arguably nothing before, which is a scary thought for someone that's done so much in the sport. Uh, this new engine, whilst it's probably not going to be as powerful as it was in Brazil, I still think it's going to pack quite a punch, which could prove to be critical. And if Honda want to match that, you know, an engine penalty for Verstappen is not really the way to go, but they may be forced into considering that. I don't know. It's just rumours that are going around. So it, it's one of those where right now it just seems, as Courtney mentioned earlier, that the momentum does seem to be in Lewis's corner, in Lewis's car. And whilst winning three races in a row could be what he needs to do to win this championship, it's very much doable. It really is. I mean, Kassar, again, we'll have to wait and see. I think Mercedes probably are the favourites just about, given the characteristics of the circuit and what their car is strong at. Um, You know, Jeddah, if we go to Jeddah, it looks like a Mercedes slam dunk circuit for me with the the speed there. And then we go to Abu Dhabi where, you know... We said Mercedes have always been strong there, but then before Mercedes were dominant in the Red Bull era, Red Bull always dominated there. So depending on how the circuit turns out to be, once once we go there with all the new additions and the changes, with the way the Red Bull is right now, who knows? They could be strong. That final sector looks quite good for them. So we'll have to wait and see. Courtney, you want to weigh in? Yeah. I'm going to ask another question. Um do you reckon Mercedes knows there's a slight rumours about Max taking a, an engine penalty? Do you reckon it's possible that Mercedes, if, if there is a hypothetical drop-off in performance, do you reckon it might be possible that Lewis takes another five-place grid penalty in Abu Dhabi in order to get that, that speed? Because we saw how much of a difference it made in Brazil. And let's be honest, we're going into the end of the season here where some of the drivers will be on the beach. They won't be so keen to pop as much of a fight. We saw it, funny enough, in 2016, where you saw drivers that didn't have a go at overtaking Rosberg, when actually early on in the season, they would have. So it'd be interesting to know if they could possibly do that if we see an engine performance drop off. I suppose it depends on how effective a brand new, fresh engine running at four beans is for Mercedes compared to one that not necessarily can't do any more running or any more mileage, but one that they ran at the Brazilian Grand Prix, because it is an interesting point. If a brand new engine gives them that much of a punch, would a five-place grid penalty be the worst thing in the world to take for that engine? Probably not, but I don't know if Mercedes are going to do that or would consider doing that, because um, it'd be an interesting way to turn up with a brand new engine like they did many years ago, about 15, 20 years ago, when you used to have a new engine every other session. Um, the wastage that we had in Formula 1 then. Um, Tom, what do you think about that question? Do you think that's a tactic Mercedes could um, employ with Lewis Hamilton to just give him a new engine and a five-place grid penalty just to get that boost? Or do you feel that perhaps uh, Brazil was just a one-off and that the power unit that they have should be sufficient to finish the season? So it's definitely sufficient to finish the season. Um, and it was... They could have got to the end of the season on the previous engine as well, but they would have had to compromise overall performance to do that, um, which is, and given that how strong Red Bull had been, they they thought it's, it's obviously a, because Brazil had a sprint race, that's an extra opportunity, that's an extra race start, an extra you know third of a race to get those positions back. And so when they took the, uh, when they took the engine penalty in Brazil, the plan would have been start, you know, qualify on pole, start sixth, win the sprint, and then win the race. I can't see them taking another penalty 
for another race. Um, it just doesn't, when you've got four races left that you're going to feel the benefit of that new engine, it makes sense to do it in Brazil, but it doesn't make sense to do it in the last race of the season because then you're taking a five place penalty for something that's only going to benefit you in one race. And we all know how hard it is to overtake in Abu Dhabi. If, you know, if this was the secure circuit, you know, maybe, you know, if this was the, uh, you know, the the, the, the short oval, uh, not oval, but the short square oval thing that they had in, in secure last year, then maybe you would, you would, you would consider that, but I just don't see, I just don't see it as a viable option and Red Bull, I can't see them doing it either because if, I mean, this is to, this is to say that if what Christian Horner says is true, which we all know, pinch of salt time there, but if what Christian Horner says is true, then the Honda engine only has a, a about a tenth of a second drop off between the start and the end of its life. So um, that would not be beneficial. Whereas the Mercedes seems to have a much much more obvious marketable drop off. I think what we've seen is they've they've had issues with the power unit that they're not entirely certain of. They've put a fix in place. Obviously, when Bottas took his new engine in Monza, he then had to take another one in Russia because there was a problem with the one that was in Monza. So I think they've they've identified what that problem was. They've managed to get that out of the system. And when Hamilton's taken his new engine, that's then eliminated that problem. They still have wear issues with it. But if you think back to the start of the season, they did seven races on their first engine. So there's no reason to say that it can't go to the end. I mean, we've got three races left. It's done one one race and a third when you take the, the sprint into, into uh, consideration as well. So it's only going to do four and a quarter races by the end of the season. So I can't see them even considering another grid drop. To be honest, I didn't think they were going to take a grid drop before Brazil, but given, you know, how they knew what their performance would be like with that new engine and the fact it was a sprint race, it just made perfect sense. And, uh, and had it not been for the DRS issue, then they would have, they would have closed a lot more than uh, than five points on Verstappen. It would have been eight or nine points, I think, in the end, because I think he probably would have got the fastest lap as well. Yeah, quite arguably he probably would have done as well. And um, the momentum might not have shifted in Mercedes' favour as much as um, as it seems to have done after what Lewis did. You know, sometimes it can work in your favour like that. And in Lewis's hands, it certainly did. Um, I'm not going to focus too much on Bottas and Perez. I think we've spoken already about what we expect from them, i.e. to be the rear gunner and probably get the fastest lap, whichever one ends up in fourth. So I'm going to move this over now to some of the other stories in the paddock. Ferrari and McLaren. Now... We've spoken a lot this season about these two teams in this battle for third in the Constructors' Championship. And it just seems now that we could potentially be in a position where Ferrari could wrap this position up sooner rather than later. Quite unprecedented given where we were uh, at Monza when it seemed that McLaren had the advantage after their incredible 1-2 win. But since then, of course, Ferrari introduced those electrical upgrades to their power unit. It seems to have done the absolute treat for them in terms of bridging that power gap between them and McLaren to a degree to the point now where they look the clear favourites at almost every circuit we go to between the two teams. Tom, do you expect that trend to continue with Ferrari? And if McLaren are going to try and bridge that gap to them and take the fight to them to the end, what do they need to do better? Well, they need Ferrari to just be Ferrari instead of this new Ferrari that they seem to have been over the last few races where they've been maximising things and doing reasonable strategies. And uh, they, they, McLaren have much 
closer maximized their performance over the year than Ferrari have. But Ferrari have had a similar package to McLaren for most of the year. Now they have the obviously much superior package. There's not a lot McLaren can do except maximize their weekend and just see where things pan out. They've got to be quick, react to, you know, they've got to read the race well and react well and do the absolute 100% best thing for the team. Ferrari tend to not necessarily know what the best strategy is. So they just split the driver strategy and then, you know, one will be on the podium and one will be 10th. You know, it's, it's, it, that's kind of how they, how they do it. And then invariably science gets the, gets the alternate strategy. And because science seems to be stronger at making strategies work in the race, he ends up finishing just behind Leclerc on track um, or just like this weekend, just had a bad start otherwise. But uh, um it's yeah, Ferrari, it's in Ferrari's hands. Absolutely, there's there's it's quite quite a big gap now. It's uh, what is it? It's twenty twenty nine and a half it's points. I think it is now. Actually, yeah. Is it? Uh, yes, it is thirty one and a half points. Yeah. Sorry, yes. So that's um, that's a big gap to close when you're not winning races. If you're winning races, you think yeah, you know one two. That's fifteen twenty points. You've claimed claim back straight away. But um, it's it's going to take a big result for McLaren uh, or a couple of big results for McLaren. And I can't see that happening. Looking at the circuits coming up, Ferrari traditionally have always done well at Abu Dhabi. And I think it suits their car as well. I think this race will probably suit Ferrari over McLaren. But given there's no historical data there, Ferrari may well make a hash of things. So McLaren might be able to steal a march on them this weekend. Next week, uh, the next race, probably, I think they probably will be at least level with Ferrari, if not slightly ahead, but Abu Dhabi is going to be back in Ferrari country. So they need to be leading that battle going into Abu Dhabi. And I can't see that happening. So for me, um, it's, it's Ferrari's to lose. Uh, and I can't see McLaren getting that back, unfortunately, as, uh, as you can tell by the hoodie I'm wearing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a nice one. I will say, um, I must admit, um, Courtney, you know, similar to what Tom was saying, Lando Norris kind of echoed those thoughts to a degree that, Ferrari in in Lando's mind seem to have the superior package the whole season long it's just taken Ferrari quite some time to sort of put it all together on a regular basis you know not make any mistakes the drivers to be on form everything to be going their way and maximizing their package whereas McLaren have been maximizing their potential from day one and it's just got to a point now where it's caught up to them uh, and Ferrari have managed to steam ahead Um, would you agree with that and uh, if so you know, is it possible for McLaren to do anything to stop Ferrari or do you feel that they need Ferrari to sort of trip over themselves to get McLaren back in this fight? Yeah, I think Ferrari have got the performance and obviously the points gap in their favour. But I'm going to leave another fault. I'll follow them tonight. If you think about Monza and Sochi and how supreme McLaren were in those two races in order to well let's let's not forget that Lando should have been very one in Sochi. We're going to Jeddah, which is very much high speeds. You have some similar uh, characteristics to Monza and Sochi. Could McLaren not only get a big points haul there, but actually play a role in this championship battle? Because if they perform like they did in Monza and Sochi there could be a bigger points gap between Lewis and Max, let's say. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, I'm kind of leaning towards the idea that whilst that is a feasible idea, the fact that Mercedes' performance, particularly with their power and straight line speed, has gone up to quite a degree now where they could have the fastest overall package over Red Bull, and yet 
the trend has not really followed with McLaren and Aston Martin and Williams mm. suggests to me that Mercedes are doing something else with their car, legal or not. We'll have to find out if that's the case. I mean, I haven't yeah, seen anything. Yeah, but Monza, Monza and no, Sochi. No. Monza, yeah. they're fair points. They really are. But I, I'm thinking t- post-Turkey where people were talking mm. about this you know, upturn of performance Mercedes had found and is it enough to turn the tide in their favour? And I think we're seeing that now after a few races where we weren't sure. We haven't seen that trend continue with McLaren and Aston Martin and Williams. So I'm wondering if engine performance is not the only factor at play here. I mean, we saw Red Bull talking about this new trick rear suspension thing Mercedes have been doing. As far as we understand, Mercedes has been doing it all year and Ferrari, even Matty Bonotto said it's not a new thing. Seven of the teams out of the lot are doing it. So it might just be the low-rake, low-drag setup is finally coming to its own after all this time this season. It's just how it could be. Um, so I don't know if McLaren could be as much of a factor in the championship fight in Saudi Arabia as perhaps it may have seemed earlier in the season where Monza and similar tracks like that, they certainly were there um, fighting for the, the race win. So we'll have to wait and see. But for me, as I said earlier, and as Tom was alluding to, I think if McLaren are going to get themselves in this, not only do they need to pick up their own performances, Daniel Ricciardo, of course, included in this because his form has dropped quite emphatically, which is not like him at all since Monza. Um, they need Ferrari to sort of, characteristically a Ferrari of the past, to sort of, you know, trip over themselves and give their rivals a favour. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, let's look at the battle between Alpha Tauri and Alpine. Now, of course, guys... Um, for a while, it seemed that Alf, um, Alpine were going to run away with fifth place. And then, of course, they had a bit of a slump. Alpha Tauri, Pierre Gasly in particular, has really picked up his form again. And now we find them dead level. And um, I was on a podcast the other day talking about this. And I said that, you know, Alpha Tauri looked like they might have, or at least Pierre Gasly seems to have got on top of the performance of their car because it's a very good car. And I think in the right hands on the right day, it's more than a match for the likes of McLaren and Ferrari, some cases even being better than them. But they've just not exploited it enough this season to be a real focal point in this fight between those two teams. But with Alpine, it seems that we've got a team that's got a car that really does work well in the right hands, in Pierre Gasly's hands, against an Alpine team that they just look like they've got a different level of performance in every single session of every single race they go to. And I think in Brazil, they relied on their tactical nows that they've shown this season to seize the opportunity when it's come. And that's a team that's done it a few times this season, whether it be in Hungary, where, of course, they won in with Ocon and that fourth place from Alonso. Um, in Turkey, when Ocon did the no-stop and managed to get into the points when he was completely nowhere for most of that race. And, of course, this weekend, they took advantage of the safety car to one-stop and ended up having both cars in the points. So that's kind of where we are now, where both teams are level on points of each other going into the final few races. Um, Tom, if you were to pick um, you know, one or the other to win out of this one, who do you think is going to be, Alpha Tauri or Alpine? If you're asking me about which which car is the best, then it's absolutely Alpha Tauri. Uh, they've, had, they've had a far superior car for the whole of the season, but uh, it's the it's the perfect example of why when you're a midfield team you need two strong drivers because they haven't had that all season. They've had Gasly has been you know as you say been been powering in the points and Sonoda has been has been nowhere and and that's what I thought was going to cost them fifth place in the championship. But that Alpine just doesn't seem to have any redeeming features left on it now. It just doesn't seem to be able to put in a, a strong performance. At, 
any track now. They just seem to be fighting for these tail end points. You, you'll see Gasly will be sticking it in fifth place in qualifying and, and racing for the podium and then finishing fourth. And But you don't see that from Alpine. The only time we've seen that all season was when Bottas did his bowling ball in Hungary. And that the only reason that they won that race was because they were so far back that they managed to miss it all. If they'd have been in a, in a decent position, they'd have been taken out in that crash. So it's... It, it's really uh, Alpine are in that position quite fortuitously, partially because of the bumper result they had in Hungary, and also because Alfatori have not only had you know Gasly scoring them line share of their points, but they also haven't maximised their strategy either. The start of the season, the first half of the season, I was getting very angry with Alfatori and their strategy decisions and and what they were doing, what they weren't doing at times as well, and they just seemed every race it was oh well that's another big result lost from Alfatori. And that hasn't happened in the second half of the season, which is why they're coming a lot stronger. Also, it's coincided with a nice turn of form for, for Sonoda, where he seemed to be starting to get on top of things. But uh, again, back to his old tricks again this weekend. So it's it's all going to depend on what Sonoda does in the last three races. And uh, no one's been at this track before. So who knows? Sonoda might might excel at this race because he'll be in the same boat as everyone else. Alonso's, you know, his experience will probably come through here. But... Um, I think that's that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to be the performance of Sonoda versus Ocon and Alonso. And AlphaTauri definitely, for me, are the team that are in the box seat to take that position. But will they? I'm not entirely convinced. It wouldn't surprise me to see Alpine take that position. What about you, Courtney? Uh, do you feel Sonoda could potentially be the deciding factor in this battle between the two teams? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Sonoda needs to up his game because uh, I think it's clear to see that Gasly's been carrying Alpha Tauri this season. The term carry is a little bit harsh because I do think they have a decent package, but Sonoda simply hasn't done enough. And, you know, and these races could potentially cost a team a lot of money at an important time and where Formula One is heading. So I think, um, yeah, I think, I think Sonoda definitely needs to up his game. And also I think Sonoda needs to for his own, for his own sake, because, if he sort of fails Alpha Tauri in this type of battle, he's going to immediately be under pressure next season because we always know that there's a lot of competition in the Red Bull Academy. So I think not only for the team, but for himself, Sonoda really does need to take it up a level. Yeah, very, very true. Um, before we get into our predictions, um, I'm I'm going to with respect to these teams, because there's not a lot going on with some of these teams, so I'm going to skip over mm-hmm. Aston Martin, Alfa Romeo, Williams in particular, because, as I said, I, I think their seasons are pretty much all but done and their focus is on next year, so I'm not going to worry about them too much. I do want to briefly talk about Nikita Mazepin, if I may. Now, us on this podcast, other people as well, for whether it right or wrong, have poked fun in Nikita Mazepin's direction, not necessarily just because of his ability behind the wheel um, or his route in which he got into Formula One. Now, that's not necessarily... uh, I'm not necessarily saying that we're wrong for this or saying that other people don't have a right to have a distaste for Nikita Mazepin for his activities off the circuit or what he did at the start of the season. We're not going to get into that because it's a very difficult subject. And as we said, I think everything that's been said on that has been said. But... One thing I wanted to sort of talk about with Nikita Mazepin is if it's possible, we can just take a few minutes to talk about how we felt his season has gone in terms of where he was at the start to where he is now. Because one thing that was quite telling for me 
this weekend at Brazil, which kind of made me look to try and reflect on his performance this season, is the fact that after qualifying, he was quite emotional. And I think this was the first time that we'd seen Nikita Mazepin open up and appear vulnerable to everyone as if he was struggling or he feels like he's trying really, really hard to get the most out of this. And it just got the best of him when he underperformed. So if we can, um, how do you, how have you guys assessed Nikita Mazepin this season? And of course, let's not forget, he put together a great overtake uh, uh, against Mick Schumacher, his teammate at the Brazilian Grand Prix. It was one of the best moments of his season. Now, this isn't me trying to say, let's try and talk Nikita Mazepin up. I, I just think I would like to get your thoughts, uh, objective opinions on how you feel he's, if he has progressed from where he was early in the season to where he is now? Or do you feel that this is a guy that is realising that he's a bit out of his depth in Formula 1? Um, I mean, given the situation that Hass are in, it's quite difficult to gauge because the only sort of reference that they have is their teammate. And I think, you know, Mick Schumacher has been fairly solid, again, given the position that they're in. Um, so it's tough to tell. I think next season will be a much better indication of where Nikita Mazepin is. I just think that there are various things that go against sort of the fans' feelings against Mazepin. I think his decision may, uh, the, 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 some of the stuff that he's done off track, some of the times where he's just gotten away and had a, a slight influence on the races where he shouldn't. And also the fact that he's another paid driver. F1 fans do have, not a dislike as such, but they just have, they're not as keen on paid drivers because we've seen a lot of talented drivers sort of end up outside of F1 and not really given a fair chance because of the way that it is. So, you know, it's not just one thing with Nikita Mazepin. There are a few things. I personally don't think he's good enough, but next season will give us sort of a lot more of the information that we need to make a true judgment of what he really is like as a driver. Yeah, that's true. I think what's important for me this season with Mazepin is that there have been moments this season where it's been quite scary. I mean, Baku comes to mind where he almost put his own teammate in the wall whilst fighting that run to the line. What happened at Zanvoort between them, a similar incident there. But there have been facets, I think, in his performance where he has improved. Not necessarily ones that are, you know, that you could say are tangible in the sense that, oh, he's going to be like a new driver next season. He's going to be amazing. But there is something there. Um, Tom, what are your thoughts on Mazepin's progress, if you like, uh, this season? Um, do you feel that there has been tangible progress or do you feel that, as I said earlier, is this a guy that's realising very quickly that he's a bit out of his depth against some of the other drivers in the sport? There's definitely been improvement without a shadow of a doubt, but you would expect that given that it's such a steep learning curve coming into Formula One from from where he was as well from uh, from from F2 and, you know, winning races in F2, but also getting to the point in his F2 season where he actually amassed enough points to get a race ban, but because it was the last race, it doesn't count. So he's, he's had a lot of instances this season when he's not really been, he hasn't really had the opportunity to race anyone all year yet. Somehow he still managed to amass a reasonable amount of penalty points, which, you know, it's, it's worrying. And what I'd like to see from him, I would like to see him in a better car. Genuinely, I hope has make a strong step forward next year. We all know he's going to be around. But if he's going to be in that midfield fight with other cars, how is he going to behave? If he's going to behave the way he behaves to his teammate, then he's very quickly going to get found out and he's going to get um, potentially booted out of the sport. But um, he's definitely made improvements. But what I think with this weekend, I... Um, I think when you look at the way Haas performed over the weekend, 
they obviously had something in their back pocket for for Brazil. And I think they had, whether it was, I mean, Mazepin was was very open saying that he hasn't been in the simulator for this race yet. I don't personally, I'm not saying he's lying, but I, I think maybe they, they had alternatives. There was something else there. And the fact that he made a mess of his qualifying when he was doing quite well, having never done any any laps on this track, I think there was something that they thought they with the way their car was set up, they thought they had something in reserve for this race because they were both, they seem to have a lot more pace this weekend than in previous races. So that, that emotion you saw from him was, was him realizing that this was his shot to, you know, to actually start fighting with the Williamses and maybe one of the Alfa Romeos and, and he blew it. And I think that was more the emotion there that this, you know, it it may well be a crisis of confidence. It may just be like the emotion of the time, you know, when you, when you, when you work yourself so hard at something and, and maybe like he was physically exhausted, put everything into it and then made a mistake and, and, and it's just got on top of him. So, yeah, but I do think this, it is interesting that he's shown this vulnerability now. And I, it's something that people, you know, they, they see him as this, this cold, arrogant, rich kid who's there just because his dad wants him to be there and and he doesn't actually care and has no respect for anyone else. But honestly, really, he's a human being and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's shown this emotion there. He's, he is trying incredibly hard and you don't get to Formula 1 if you don't have talent at the end of the day. He's obviously got talent. He can obviously be quick. He's won races in F2. So I'm not saying that, you know, he was the best thing to come out of F2 last year, but he definitely... You know, he won races last year. I obviously, as you allude to earlier, I follow the junior formula quite closely. And there were races I, I'd written Mazepin off uh, the, from the previous year from his performances and thought he was nothing. But he really impressed me in some races last year. And I thought he was going to outdo Mick Schumacher this year. And uh, yeah, he hasn't done, but he's been a lot closer than a lot of people give him credit for. And I know there's been times when I think, was it the last race? He was 11th on lap four. And then there was uh, a um, 14 laps later, he was 20th and lapped or 18th and lapped with only out of the only 18 runners. And, and we don't know, we don't, we never see enough of his racing to see where that comes from. Is it that he's just making silly mistakes? Is it that the car has absolutely no pace? Is it that he's getting out of people's way because he doesn't want to ruin their race and he knows we're not fighting with them? We don't know because we never see him in these racing positions. So it's difficult to judge him. And I just really hope that has to make the step forward next year and we see him in a semi-competitive car so we can really judge him because at the moment, all we're going to get is every time he does something wrong, he's going to be crucified. Every time we do something right, it's going to be brushed under the carpet. And you're right, it isn't fair. He's never going to win a popularity contest, but... Um, we need to at least give him a fair crack of the whip. I mean, with respect to his what he's capable of and what he's familiar with in the uh, the junior categories, of course, we shouldn't forget next year's cars, you know, are going to be a lot heavier. They're going to be less downforce. They're going to be a lot more sluggish. In a way, they're going to behave like faster F2 cars. So, you know, and, and for us as well, this is going to be the first actual car that they produce themselves to a degree. It's not going to be a Ferrari hand-me-down. And based on what Ferrari have produced in the last few years, they haven't been very good ones if you want to make progress. So, you know, with all that in mind, do you feel that next year could prove to be the big opportunity for not just, you know, Mazepin, but Schumacher as well to sort of demonstrate their abilities a bit better and perhaps see uh, better versions of themselves next season, not necessarily just the guys that have been trying to learn with uh, a terrible car. 
And that goes for either of you. Whoever wants to answer, I should mention. But uh, Tom, you're the resident uh, junior series guy. So uh, yeah, by all means, take the take the stage. Yeah. Uh, well, I, th- I think weight wise, I mean, I think the Formula One cars. I don't think they're heavier. So I don't think they're. Um, I don't think the F2 cars are heavier than the the F1 cars, but they certainly are a lot more sluggish. So um, it's. Uh, I, I think they. I don't. There's going to be a drop in downforce, yes, but from what I hear, the drop in downforce is not going to be dramatic. It's just going to be a slight change in behaviour. They're going to be much, uh, much more stable because of the the you know the, the underwing element of it and the uh, the return to to ground effect aerodynamics in, in in some sense. So they're going to be a bit more stable in that sense, but they're they're going to be harder to drive as well, and they're already fairly hard cars to drive as it is. So um, it's we. Travis, we're never really going to know until until next season. It's, it's impossible to say. We can sit here and we can judge it all we want, but it's it's going to be impossible to know. It's a completely new new formula. We haven't seen a change like this since since 2014 and probably beyond. This is probably bigger than the change in 2014. Um, certainly from an aero department, it's definitely a bigger change. So it's it's just going to be so fascinating to see. And, and yes, this is an opportunity for Haas, but it's an opportunity for everyone. Everyone has said that, they um they're looking at 2022 as a big opportunity and there isn't a there isn't a team on the grid that doesn't expect to be better in 2022 and um and they can't all be right so it's just it's just going to be who who performs better relative to who else and and i can't see Haas with the resources that they've got at their disposal i can't see them making a bigger step forward than any other team i just hope they they make a big enough step to be in with the fight so you've got four or five teams fighting out at the back at least so you've got five teams at the front five teams at the back i'll be happy with that i'll be happier if it was you know anyone could win but that's not going to happen realistically no i I think we'd be kidding ourselves into thinking that anybody could win this championship next season as as fun as it may be to think i think we're expecting the regular candidates to sort of show themselves with a superior personnel with all respect and the facilities available to them even though they are operating on a level playing field in theory um but we're still a little while away from that um let's move on to prediction time guys to wrap up this episode um normally tom we give our top three pole position and a bold prediction so courtney i'm gonna hand the floor over to you who's your Uh top three who's getting on pole and do you have a bold prediction for us and please don't try to steal mine like you usually do (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna say pole and win for lewis max in second valtteri bottas in third bold prediction hmm bold prediction i don't don't know you know i think i think it's it's gonna be quite a predictable predictable lineup i'll tell you what i'm I'm just gonna say let's expect a strong performance from lando norris because i think we're due one maybe a lando norris top five finish Fair enough. Um, I'll agree with you with that top three and pole position. I think Lewis will win pole position and Max second and Valtteri in third. Um, I'm going to go with Pierre Gasly to beat the Ferraris again this weekend like he did in Mexico. Um, Might be a bit bold the way Ferrari were quite impressive in Brazil in a race of their own, but I think Gasly, um, if he can stay ahead of them early on, I think that AlphaTauri might pack a bit of a punch for him, especially down that long straight. Um, Tom, how about you? I'm going to buck the trend a little bit and save Verstappen for pole position, but it's going to be a reversal in the race, and it's going to be Hamilton, Verstappen, 1-2, with a Perez uh, rounding out the podium in third place. 
Uh, and bold prediction wise, I'm going to go with uh, another Alfatori based one, Yuki Snowder to beat Pierre Gasly. There we go. Oh, I like it. Ooh. Seeing that Tom knows how to do a bold prediction, I like it. <laughs> yeah. we've, we've just gone to revert to tight. We're too cautious, I think is the right way of putting it on <laughs> yeah. the podcast. Got, bold's got to be bold. I love it. Go, go bold or go home. Love it. I love, I love that one to come true. But obviously, as long as Pierre does well as well, with all respect. Um, but no, that's great. Um, of course, Tom little opportunity for you to introduce yourself to our listeners who haven't checked you out before uh, where can they find you and uh, what do they need to do to hear more of your great stuff on your own show cool so I, i'm uh, myself and carl run the monkey seat podcast which is at monkey seat pod on the socials you can go to monkeyseatpod.com uh, and we're on all major podcasting players like yourself uh, you find us pretty much anywhere um and yeah we talk about formula one we talk about other formulas as well uh kind of obviously at the moment folks in purely in formula one because everything's kind of shut down now um but uh yeah we we're, we're kind of a bit more bit more laid back and just chatty interrupting each other making jokes about each other and much less professional than than yourself and everything like that it's just a bit of a laugh between you know two mates just just uh just chatting about f1 and just having a laugh because you know um we're good friends he moved away he moved to ireland and this is our way of keeping in touch and and people seem to like what we're talking about as well so come and give us a listen yeah definitely recommend it i've listened to quite a few episodes and been on one myself actually so it's definitely worth a listen and uh, some great stuff from tom and carl in particular and of course you know you, you get pets and animals on your show as well you don't get that on our show so that's always another reason to tune in as well that's for the video <laughs> video watchers, definitely. Yeah, he yeah. could be a little annoying, this thing on my lap right now. <laughs> yeah, people listening on their favourite podcasting platform will hear that and think, what on earth is Adam talking about? But anyway, guys, of course, <laughs> you know, thank you very much for tuning in. As always, let us know what your predictions are for the Qatar Grand Prix. And of course, let us know your thoughts on what we've talked about with Max and Lewis. You know, this appeal with Mercedes. Do we think it's got legs? Do we think it's going to result in any changes in the original verdict? And of course, let us know your thoughts on Guan Yu Zhou and the prediction for the Qatar Grand Prix this weekend and of course for the championship by extension as well of course if you have enjoyed this episode consider liking the video on YouTube or your favorite podcasting platform and consider subscribing to us as well and of course if you do like what we do please feel free to leave a five-star review if you do leave a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform we will give you a shout out on the very next episode but until then guys thank you so much for tuning in stay safe and we'll see you on the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast take care Podcast Network.